Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, as we find written in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, reading there in the first chapter, especially the ninth verse. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. It is a good morning. I hope that you are glad to be here in God's house. May I say it's good to be back with you after an absence of one Sunday. If you glanced at your church calendar, you have noticed that this coming Thursday is called Ascension Day. It always occurs 40 days after Easter, and therefore it always comes on a Thursday. It is one of the major festivals of the Christian Church, and therefore we like to celebrate it on the Sunday preceding that day. As we know, Jesus died on Good Friday. He arose from the dead on Easter. And then there was a 40-day period when he appeared to his followers off and on, we are told that he spoke to them, he instructed them about the kingdom of God. And then came Thursday, the 40th day after his resurrection, and he met with the eleven and he talked to them about the things of the kingdom of God. He told them, he said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem because you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then they turned to him and they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And you recall that Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons. God's going to take care of that. But he told them then that when you do receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. And then as Jesus with the eleven, as they walked up the slope of the Mount of Olives, going by the Garden of Gethsemane, just about a half mile outside of Jerusalem, as he came to the very summit of the Mount of Olives, he raised his hands in blessing. Then he started to go up. And they looked there and they knew what this meant. He was going back home. He was going back to heaven. And the eleven stood there and they watched as long as they could until a cloud came between them and Jesus and they couldn't see him anymore. But they were still gazing intently into the heavens when we are told that there were two men in white apparel, two angels standing alongside of them. And the angel said, You men of Galilee, why are you standing there so intently gazing into heaven? They said, Know this, that the same Jesus that you have seen go, in the same way he's going to come back and see you again. And so they went back to Jerusalem. That's the ascension story. We may say to ourselves today, What about it for us in the 20th century? The two angels on the basis of Scripture, they call to you and to me in our Christian life to rejoice and to thank Christ that he went back home. To thank him that he was taken up, that he returned back to his heavenly home. And uh, we may say to ourselves, I don't know whether there's so much to shout about, whether there's so much to be thankful and grateful about to Jesus, because he went back home. Uh, you and I may say, sometimes I feel like crying. Sometimes I feel very depressed to think that he went back home, that he ascended into heaven, that he returned to his home. We may say, I feel like a motherless child. I feel so deserted. I feel so alone. I feel that, oh, that he's sort of given me the brush off. I 
feel that because he's out of sight that I'm out of his mind and we may actually say, what is there really to rejoice about and to thank Jesus because he went back home on the 40th day after Easter. And yet on the basis of the word of God, the angels that call upon you and me this morning, as we think of this great event, when Jesus ascended into heaven and when he went back home, we ought to thank and praise him and we ought to rejoice and thank God because the angels on the basis of scripture tell us that there are tremendous assurances, there are great comforts, there are great solaces, there are great joys that are yours and mine because he ascended into heaven. And this morning, let's look at it. In the first place, the angels would remind you and me on the basis of Scripture that Christ's ascension into heaven on the 40th day would remind us that it assures us that God was delighted to honor Jesus and to place him at the right hand of his heavenly Father. The eleven stood there on the Mount of Olives and they saw one end of the going home. And it was a sad experience in a way. They stood there and here Jesus with whom they had been for three years. Here they knew he was going home. He was going back and they stood there. No wonder. I guess you and I would have done the same. We would have just stood there and had our eyes just glued in the heavens. We would have said, what does it all mean? But oh, have you ever thought what happened at the other end? In the word of God we are told that when Jesus arrived home that he was placed at the right hand of God. We say it in the creed every Sunday, don't we? God the Father never became a human being, therefore he doesn't have a right hand or a right arm. This is figurative and this means the power of God, his right hand, and it also means the place of honor. When Jesus went back home on the 40th day, it was far different than when his soul went to heaven on Good Friday. You know, his body remained here on Good Friday and it was placed in the tomb. But on the ascension day, he went back with his body. He who was God and man went back and the heavens welcomed him and God the Father said, Son, sit at my right hand, occupy your throne. This is your place of honor and distinction. And when the word of God mentions to us about 10,000 times 10,000 angels, 100 million angels, what must that homecoming have meant? When he came back and God the Father said, Son, I am delighted, sit at my right hand on the throne. And the angels, they began to sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You and I may say, why? Why? Because Jesus, who was true God, became man, didn't he? He came into the world, was born of the Virgin Mary, took a human body and a human soul, and he died on the cross for you and me. He accomplished the great plan of God that God had promised to Adam and Eve 4,000 years before Jesus came. The great plan was to save the world in Christ by his sufferings and death. He therefore rescued you and me and the entire world from hell and brought eternal life for all of us. When the job was done... With his body he goes back to heaven and God the Father is delighted that the great plan, work all done, cared, laid by, it's all finished, son, sit at my right hand. It was delight. What a scene it must have been. Now what does that mean in your life and mine? It means this in my life and I hope it means it in yours. This joy and this comfort that God is delighted to save you and me. We talk about the gospel being good news. You know, the gospel is good news, but I wonder if we see some other side of it. It's good news in this, that Christ came into the world to save you and me. And the other part of the good news is this, that it is the delight of God. It's the joy of his existence to save. 
as you have heard me say, God is imminently and God is gloriously insane and crazy on one point. That is that he just fills his soul with joy. There is nothing that gives God greater delight than to save you and me. This is the joy of his existence. He is magnificently obsessed with this delight. This is the good news. And therefore again we can say because he went up to heaven and God delighted in placing him at the right hand, why the greatest delight in God's existence is to save you and me. This is comfort, and we don't have to feel that we're being brushed off. We don't have to feel deserted. Why, the angels of God would also remind you and me as we think about Christ's ascension, that the ascension assures us that Jesus sits at the right hand of God, that he makes intercession for us so that all of us will have our time of grace. We may say, what's he doing in heaven? What does Christ do if we're out of sight? Are we out of his mind? Uh, thank God the Word of God in the book of Hebrews, the 7th chapter, the 25th verse, tells us that Jesus liveth to make intercession for us. Bring it down into your life and mine. It means that seated at the right hand of God, this God-man who completed the great work of salvation, that he pleads for you and me. He's got you and me as our great concern. And he pleads with the Father, and because he pleads with the Father for you and me, that all of us may have our time of grace that we may have a time in this world when we can reckon with Jesus Christ. Maybe some of us this morning have delayed in doing that. Maybe we put off Jesus Christ. We've never reckoned with him. We've never faced him. We have never repented of our sins. We have truly never subjected ourselves to him. We've never surrendered. We may say to ourselves at times, I wonder why I'm alive. I wonder why God lets me live when I shun Jesus Christ. And the reason for it is that we've got a friend in heaven who is to God and to man who pleads for you and me, that God the Father will not snatch you and me out of this life without Jesus Christ, without giving us a chance. And the reason why there is a time of grace in your life and mine, a time when we still have the opportunity to believe, is because Jesus, who went to heaven, oh, he didn't desert you and me. He pleads with the Father, give that person more time. Give that person the time of grace, ample time. And that means this joy, and it means this comfort and this solace, that right now, right now, it's still not too late. God doesn't care who you and I are. He doesn't care what our sins have been. If you and I are alive and we are listening right now, if we have never repented, if we have never surrendered, it means this, that God who delights in saving is saying, here is the time, there is still ample time. I care not, though your sins be as scarlet in Jesus Christ, they shall be whiter than snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is comfort and solace. It wasn't any brush off. It, we don't have to feel like a motherless child. It went up to heaven, and the word of God says that he's busy. He is engaged in making intercession for us. And the angels of God, on the basis of Scripture, remind us then that since he makes intercession, it assures us that he is interceding with God, that God would forgive you and me continuously our sins of ignorance that we commit every day. This may bother us on earth. We may say, yeah, Jesus has gone back to heaven. He's at the throne of God. It's nice he doesn't remember me. And we may say, look at all the things that I do wrong every day, even as a Christian that I'm not aware of. Look at the things that I do in ignorance. And supposing death should come to me at this time, when I have done many things, I'm not aware of them, but they are wrong in the sight of God. Would I be lost? And you and I can say, oh, what great comfort. We've got a friend in heaven, the God-man, who eternally intercedes, who's living to plead with God, 
that there is a continuous flow of forgiveness from God through Christ to you and me, that it matters not what your sins of ignorance and mine may be. As fast as you and I commit them, there is a flow of forgiveness that there isn't a billionth of a second in your Christian life and mine when we are ever out of grace or out of saved relationship with Jesus Christ because of the things that we do in ignorance every day. This is comfort and solace to be sure. The angels remind us that, oh, it wasn't a desertion. Yeah, we don't have to feel like a motherless child. We don't have to feel like, again, it's been the great brush off. The angels of God on the basis of Scripture remind us that he, he makes intercession for us. He lives to do this. This is the joy of his existence, pleading with God that God would continuously forgive you and me our sins of weakness that we commit every day. You and I know that we aren't perfect, don't we? And we look at our lives every day and we say, oh, we fail and we come short. We say to ourselves, the things that I want to do, I don't do. Like Paul said, the things that I do are the things that I don't want to do. And we think of our sins where we don't give permission to them. We think thoughts, we say, I can't control my mind. Things come into my mind that I don't want to be there. I have a short fuse and I say things at times that injure people. I do things that I know are wrong and these things trouble me. I don't want to do it. We may say, supposing I would die in one of these sins of weakness of my flesh. Isn't it a tremendous comfort and solace to know that you've got somebody on the throne? who is living to make intercession, who pleads with the Father that there is a constant flow of forgiveness in your life and mine, just like Niagara Falls. There isn't a billionth of a second, but what there is flowing from God through Christ, forgiveness that even in any sin of weakness, before we even have time to ask for repentance, maybe you and I haven't even asked for repentance and faith and forgiveness this morning, again, there is a constant flow because we've got a man on the throne. He's to God. He makes intercession for you and me. This is comfort and this is solace. Oh, there's no brush off. We aren't any motherless children. The word of God assures us and the angels remind us of this fact too, that we have a friend. We have Jesus seated at the right hand of God who pleads for you and me, asking God to do everything possible to bring us back if we have deliberately sinned and if we are wandering in persistent sin. Some of us may say, well, I've wandered away from him. I've been a backslider. I have deliberately sinned. I have fallen from grace. I have simply told Christ that you're not going to run my life. I'm going to run my own. I'm doing things that I know are wrong, and I'm doing them anyway. And I'm persisting in them. And we may say to ourselves, I'm a motherless child. He doesn't care about me. Yet let's know this. On the basis of the word of God, Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, he pleads that God will do everything necessary to bring you and me back to our senses. He says to his heavenly father, let a brick house fall on him. Then there come days of illness. And sometimes we say to ourselves, if we have wandered away, I wonder why I got sick. I wonder why adversity has come. I wonder why misfortune has come. Then, you know, sickness is a universal language and it speaks to us. And we stop and we say, well, the Spirit of God has gone. God is bringing me to my senses. God is showing me, here is the taste of death. Here is something that I must realize. And when God brings illness and adversity, God is saying, wake up. I am doing this. And what's the comfort? God is saying, the last thing I want to have happen to you, or he says to me, is that you be lost. This is comfort. When there come illnesses and grievances and loved ones are taken and if you and I have fallen from grace and we are living in sin and persisting in doing those things that are wrong, 
let us know this, that God is saying, how many brick houses do I have to let fall on you to wake you up? I don't want to see you lost. He cares, let me tell you. We've got a friend in heaven who is making intercession. We aren't any motherless children. We haven't been deserted. And the angels would remind you and me, we'd say, what's he doing? We're out of sight, we're out of mind, it's nice for him, but how about us? And the angels assure us on the basis of scripture that he sits at the right hand of God, he pleads for you and me, that in the troubles that come to us as Christians, there may be strength to bear. Oh, all of us have troubles, and we can say, I'm not out of grace. I have not fallen from grace. I'm a child of God. I've been converted. I am in grace. I am not living in persistent sin. I am not deliberately doing those things that are wrong. And yet, we may say, look at my life. A lot of troubles, a lot of tears, a lot of heartaches. The Word of God says we must, through much tribulation, doesn't it, enter into the kingdom of God? Friends that prove anything but a friend, people that misjudge everything that you do, putting a foul motive on anything that you and I may do, people who criticize when they have no right, people who hurt our feelings, people again who can take your life and mine and structure it in such a way that we look like a nickels where the dogs meet, and we say to ourselves, why, oh God? Oh, that's what Jesus got too, didn't he? Just as one of you said to me just the other day, you said, you know, one Sunday you preached about being a doormat, and you said, I'm learning what it means to be a doormat, to let people wipe their feet on me, because they sure do. But as a Christian, I am learning that. Yeah, we say, why do we have to be a doormat? When the difficulties and the troubles in life come, and sons have to go to Vietnam, and they're in war, and we cry out, and we say, oh, Lord, the load... Remember, we've got somebody seated at the right hand of God, he who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was here on this earth for 33 years. He knows it's no picnic at times. He knows what adversity is, but he tells us that he pleads with the Father's strength for the day, that we have this solace and this assurance that God will never put a 10-ton load on a ton-and-a-half truck, and you've heard me say that before. If you and I have got a 10-ton load as a child of God, you can rest assured that it's a 10-ton truck to hold it. And the comfort and the solace and the joy of that there comes from God's strength whereby we are drawn closer to Jesus Christ. And life and salvation begin to mean everything. And the world with all of its lusts begins to mean less and less. We say to ourselves, but I'm saved. Jesus means everything. This is what ascension means. It means, again, we say, where's there any comfort? Where's there any solace? Where's there any assurance? I feel like a motherless child, like I've just been cut off. I'm left, left just to sink in the swim without him. But he went back to heaven, and he's a man on the throne beside God. And as a man, he knows what this stinking world does to individuals. And he assures us, and the angels would remind us that he prays the Father to give us strength that we may go out and witness for him. On that Thursday, you know, he talked to the eleven, just like eleven, eleven men. There he was along with them. And he told them, when you get the Holy Spirit, it's going to come a couple of days from now. 
You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go out and you're going to tell the gospel story in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they still tell it, don't they, through the record of the New Testament which we have from Christ's followers. When the word of God is preached, this is their testimony to the ends of the earth about the good news in Jesus Christ. We say to ourselves that sometimes with fear and trepidation uh, to go out and to, to say something about Jesus, and there comes comfort and strength and courage that we become all things to all men. When we need to be a doormat, we become one. When you have to let somebody walk all over you, we smile and we go on. Why? Because we've got a gospel to tell somebody else about. We've got to live it. We've got to speak it. We've got to show it in our lives, in our concerns, in our mercies, in our kindnesses, in our forgiving spirits. And the joy then that comes, oh, we've got an ascended Lord, the joy that comes of having shared the gospel, of having been the instrument of God's Spirit to have won somebody for Jesus Christ. This is what ascension means. We're not motherless children. We sit at the right hand of God. He lives to make intercession with me. The angels of God would say, it's not a brush off. Bear in mind that the ascension, it gives the assurance that he's coming back again. On that day, the disciples said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They were thinking about Israel as a nation, that God would give them the strength to overcome the Roman government of the Caesars and that they would be the leading power in the world. And Jesus said, now, disciples, listen, you, you let Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Israel, is the true Israel, the believers, the real sons of Abraham. And again, the angel said, he's coming back in the same way you saw him go. But he's coming back. You see, he went, and on the other end, what a tremendous thing it was and off this end, it was just seeing a human being going up in the air in a cloud. But oh, when he comes back again, he will be visible. But he's going to come with the glory of the Father, with his holy angels. What a scene it's going to be when he comes back with 10,000 times 10,000 angels. It's going to look like something with a hundred million angels, isn't it? That's going to be a sight, and you bet we're going to see it. He's coming back. Because he's coming back, we say, what does that mean in my life? We say to ourselves, you look out in the world, the world looks pretty black. I don't know how it looks to you. Here we have Vietnam. Again, just with a spark and set off another world catastrophe. And while it's going on in Vietnam, you look over in Israel and the Arab world. And again, it's just as intense there waiting for a spark. Only Vietnam with the president's got the front page. And again, the Arab and the Israeli world doesn't. We say to ourselves, what's the answer? I think the time comes when we as Christians say, this is the answer. It seems like it's near when he's coming back. When this Jesus, who 40 days after Easter went back to heaven, looks like it isn't going to be too long. That's the answer, isn't it? That's an answer. I, that's going to end it. Let me tell you, when he comes back, that's the answer. When every knee shall bow and recognize him as the eternal son of God. Too late for many, but this is the answer. And there won't be any more war and sorrow and heartache. When he comes back and we shall be reunited with our bodies, for we are human beings. And we shall be with our loved ones forever in the Lord. This is solace and comfort because the angels that day on ascension said, You saw him go, you're going to see him come. It looks like we're getting pretty close 
to the end. The world has never seen an upheaval like it is seen today with the forces of ungodliness, the forces of unbelief, the forces of atheism, so intent against the kingdom of God. It looks so close to the end. And yet what comfort we can look up and we can say, but he went to heaven and he's coming back because he's alive. He hasn't forgotten us. And today, as we celebrate the ascension, we ought to say, I, I want to thank him and I want to praise him that he went back home. It wasn't a case of deserting me, of cutting me off, of forgetting me. It wasn't a case of making me feel like a motherless child. He's up there batting for me. He's up there interceding. He's living to make intercession. We ought to thank him then that he took 40 days to assure his followers that he was alive. In that 40-day period, we have at least 10 appearances mentioned in the New Testament where every last one of his followers was assured that he was alive again, starting on Easter Sunday. You know, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, then to the women. That afternoon, there was a private appearance to Peter and then the two men on the way to Emmaus. And that night, behind locked doors to the disciples, the following Sunday night, you know, when Thomas was there. Then there was a meeting of the seven up in Galilee when he reinstated Peter. Then the great missionary command when he had 500, all of his followers there. Then there was a appearance to his brother James of which we're simply told the fact and then there came this one on ascension when he appeared to the eleven well we ought to say well there's no doubt about it that he was alive again every last follower knew that he was alive and that brings this joy that he was the Christ he was not a sham and he is coming back and we ought to live in the light of that second coming today is not the day for the doldrums and for despondency and for despair when you think of ascension today, ought to be the day for us Christians to say the future is bright. It's as bright as the promises of God. He's coming back. I'm going to put an end to this. Coming back for judgment and he's coming back for his people. He's coming back for his church. Therefore, we ought to comfort ourselves in this. When he comes back and throughout all eternity, he's going to be a human being. I wonder, does it mean much to you and me that when he went back to heaven, the Son of God went back as a human being? To me, there's tremendous comfort there. He's the only member of the Trinity, bear in mind. The Father never became a human being. The Holy Spirit never became a human being, but the Son of God did. And he went back to heaven as a human being, and he's going to be a human being in all eternity. What does that mean to me? It means this. It means that throughout all eternity, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, that I'll feel at home in heaven. And so will you, and so will all of us. Do you realize what it means to feel at home? Just in one day at the hospital recently, two patients. You want to know what it means? When an elderly gentleman said to me, looked up and he started to cry. And he said, Reverend, he said, if they'd only let me go home. Oh, I'm so homesick, he said. Looked up at me and cried. He said, have you ever been homesick? And I said, oh, yes, I've been homesick. Oh, if I could just go home from the hospital. If they'd just let me go home the other one a woman quite ill wanting to go home and so they allow her during the day to go home but she needs the hospital and then the evening she's got to come back but what therapy just to go home to feel at home how many of you feel at home here in church this morning it's a horrible feeling not to feel at home not to feel wanted to have people snub you. It's a horrible feeling to have people embarrass you. 
to say unkind things. But listen, when we are with the eternal Son of God, who's a man, going to have his body, he's got it now. We're going to feel at home. Nobody will ever hurt our feelings again. We'll never know what it means to feel unwanted. Won't that be tremendous? When we look at him to see that he's a human being, we'll say, thank God this is home. No one will ever hurt your feelings and mine again. No one will ever snub you and me. No one will ever embarrass you and me. No one will ever stick a knife into your heart and mine. Again, it'll never happen. That's the ascension. We can walk the glory road. We can say, thanks, Jesus. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child, but I know I'm not. Thanks for going up. And you know, that's what we're doing too, aren't we? As we walk the glory road, we're, we're going up. As we sing in the hymn, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Soldiers of the cross, every rung goes higher, higher. Every rung goes higher, higher. Every rung goes higher, higher. Soldiers of the cross, sinners, do you love my Jesus? Sinners, do you love my Jesus? Sinners, do you love my Jesus? Soldiers of the cross, if you love him, why not serve him? If you love him, why not serve him? If you love him, why not serve him? Soldiers of the cross, rise, shine, give God glory. Rise, shine, give God glory. Rise, shine, give God glory. Oh, yes, rejoice, soldiers of the cross. He went up to heaven. We're not motherless children. He lives, and he's pleading for you and me. That makes everything just all right. Hallelujah. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Thank you.